Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. Canadian protesters facing increasing pressure from the federal government after the Prime Minister invokes a rare state of emergency, but protesters say they're not going anywhere. Over 100,000 Super Bowl fans were given Chinese-made test kits. They came from a California-based subsidiary of a Chinese company and has secured over a billion dollars in federal contracts. A former Goldman Sachs banker is on trial for his role in one of the biggest financial scandals in Wall Street history. The investment bank is accused of making millions of dollars in Malaysia through corruption and bribery. A sports lawyer and two coaches weigh in on Russian figure skater Kamila Valieva's doping case. The Court of Arbitration for Sport has cleared the 15-year-old to compete in the women's singles event. Canada is clamping down on protests against COVID-19 mandates and restrictions, but protest organizers say they're going to hold the line and they recognize the democratic process and don't intend to step outside of it. And today's Jessica Beatty has the latest. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau declared a rare state of emergency Monday over the protests against COVID-19 mandates and restrictions. Trudeau accusing them of not being peaceful and of hurting the economy. Right now, the situation requires additional tools not held by any other federal, provincial or territorial law. The 1988 Emergencies Act allows Canada's federal government to override the provinces and authorize special temporary measures, including cutting off financing. Four provincial leaders in Alberta, Quebec, Manitoba and Saskatchewan oppose the move, saying it's unnecessary. Meanwhile, protest organizers say they're staying put. We will remain peaceful, but planted on Parliament Hill until the mandates are decisively ended. Canadian truckers first started the protests against COVID-19 vaccine mandates for cross-border drivers. Since then, it's expanded into a broader movement. Freedom Convoy spokesman Brian Peckford is a former premier of Newfoundland and the last living premier who signed the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We don't do this kind of thing in Canada. We engage in dialogue. And it is my understanding that the government of Canada has not reached out once to the truckers since they have arrived in this capital city. I find that very hard to understand. Peckford says Trudeau's emergency measures still need to be passed by Parliament. Meanwhile, protest organizers say they've notified police after being told that, quote, nefarious elements are planning to plant weapons. They said it correlates with more than 2,000 firearms that were recently stolen in a nearby town. We received information from multiple believed reliable sources that firearms may be planted in Ottawa, specifically around the Freedom Convoy, to discredit the protest and to use as a pretext to forcibly remove peaceful protesters. Organizers are urging demonstrators to inform the police immediately if they witness any suspicious activities. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. A subsidiary of a Chinese company has given out over 100,000 test kits at the Super Bowl. The company has also been awarded billions in federal and state contracts. The company in question is a California-based subsidiary of Andon Health, which is a Chinese medical device maker. Between February 5th and the 12th, it handed out 120,000 test kits to people at a pre-Super Bowl event that was at the L.A. Convention Center. 
The subsidiary is called iHealth Labs, and on game night, they put up ads on LED panels during quarter-time breaks. The bright orange boxes are labeled with the fine print, Made in China. A press release from the company said fans can test themselves before gathering to watch the big game. The NFL required people attending the Super Bowl who were five years or older to show proof of vaccination or a negative PCR or rapid antigen test. The Biden administration has recently pushed to distribute a billion free at-home test kits to Americans. iHealth Labs came out as a major contract winner in that push. Over the last month, it secured $1.8 billion in contracts to supply 354 million kits. That's about a third of the total White House rollout, and the company said it's working with 20 state governments and other organizations to make at-home testing more accessible. According to filings from Anden Health, just in December and January, New York and Massachusetts made orders that value at least $333 million. iHealth has hired another 16,000 manufacturing hands and boosted its daily production capacity to over 10 million. That's to meet demands in the U.S., but the fact that the company has advertised at the Super Bowl suggests iHealth's ambition doesn't stop there. The company's COO said their goal is to bring COVID-19 tests to every American family in a timely manner. Though Senator Roger Marshall is scrutinizing its China ties. He told the Epic Times the fact that Chinese-made tests were promoted at America's largest sporting event underscores U.S. reliance on medical supplies from China. The senator also said, quote, we should be investing in American manufacturing and creating jobs at home instead of continuing to fund the CCP. The Super Bowl has given people a lot to talk about, but not all of it's about the game or the halftime show. Many celebrities were seen unmasked at what was supposed to be a masked event. This has critics of the mask mandate decrying, rules for me, but not for thee. NTD's Miguel Moreno has the story. Everyone was supposed to be masked at the Super Bowl, but that's not what the cameras witnessed. Celebrity after celebrity maskless in what Los Angeles County considers a mega event. That means the mask can come off only when you're actively eating or drinking. Critics of the masking violations noted that celebrities get away with what children cannot. And at this point, uh, the, the only people that are continuing to be masked are the kids who are the most resilient to this virus. Sharon McKeeman is the founder of Let Them Breathe, a children's advocacy organization that supports parental choice on masks and opposes mask mandates in schools. We could see some celebrities at the Super Bowl maskless violating the state's mask mandate, but in the same state, students are being suspended or punished in some way uh, because they're maskless in school. So some are calling this a double standard. Where do you stand on this issue? Well, it's been a double standard for quite some time, and it's just been made more evident uh, by the fact that no mask rules were enforced at SoFi Stadium. So maybe these students uh, should just follow the governor's example and follow the Super Bowl rules. <laughs> Obviously, if people can enjoy a ball game maskless, it's even more important for students Engage with their faces uncovered uh, at school. Uh, they need to be able to see their teachers and their peers' facial expressions. And we're seeing uh, students all over the state uh, peacefully unmask. And we have been at Let Them Breathe, we have been supporting them uh, legally for quite some time and just making sure they're aware of what their rights are. California is set to lift its indoor mask mandate on Tuesday. But like New York and Illinois, the mandate will remain for schools. Also seen maskless at the game was the Cincinnati mayor and many audience members. 
A picture of a maskless L.A. Mayor Garcetti is floating around on social media, but to his credit, he appears to be holding a beverage. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin is expected to sign a bill ending school mask mandates. It comes after the legislation cleared the state Senate and House of Delegates in recent days. It allows parents to opt their children out of wearing a mask in school without providing a reason. The legislation went to the governor's desk Monday after it passed the chamber along party lines with no Democrats in support of the measure. Three Democrats had joined all Republicans in the Virginia Senate in approving the legislation last week. The legislation would make the Republican governor the latest state leader to lift COVID-19 mitigation measures as case numbers decline across the U.S. And now we hear from a pastor who tells us about what he calls a crazy time staying open throughout the whole pandemic. From virus control measures to police visits amid shutdowns to daily uncertainties, Pastor Skip Heitzig of Calvary Church in Albuquerque kept his doors open to all who wanted to worship. He starts by telling us what happened in December 2020. A lot of people in the community wanted to come and we had four services on Christmas Eve. That was the first year. And um, we spaced them out. We people wore masks. Um, and yet the governor here found out that we were meeting. A few photographs were taken and they were they were not wide angle shots or normal shots. They were telephoto shots. And if you know in photography, whenever you use a telephoto lens, you actually compress all the images. So it looked like people were back to back and shoulder to shoulder, and they were not. They were distanced at six feet. But the governor's office said that I was a pro-virus pastor and shame on me for staying open. And, um, you know, we did not see a surge during that time. Now, from what I understand, that first Easter in 2020, you were able to only meet in the parking lot. Can you tell us more about this? Correct. Um, and nobody was allowed to meet. Uh, the pandemic was surging. They didn't want to have churches with, because they understand uh, Easter brings in record numbers. They wanted to forego that. And so I called the governor directly, or she actually called me, and I asked if we could at least meet in a parking lot. The reason I asked the question is there was a church down south that had met in a parking lot or uh, for church, not for Easter, just for regular Sunday services. And they were fined and raided by the police. So I didn't want to do that here. I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want drama on top of the drama caused already by COVID. So we asked permission. They said, absolutely, that's a great idea. We're fully behind you. And uh, we met and the parking lot for, we had two services. They were, it was full of people, people honking and you know, you could only wave at people through the windows, but we made the best of it. So studies show 52% of American adults think that church is essential and should stay open during a pandemic. Did your churchgoers have a similar view and is that why you stayed open? Yeah, it is essential. Here you have governments of certain states keeping strip clubs open, liquor stores open, marijuana dispensaries open, but saying that church is non-essential. Those were businesses deemed by some as essential businesses while churches were closed up because they feared proximity of one person to another. But we do hold the view that church is essential. And so I finally came to a point where I just announced to people, look, we're gonna stay open no matter what happens. Um, we were allowed to meet at that time, but they had a percentage in place for how many people could come. And I just said, look, we're gonna stay open. We're not gonna turn anybody away. 
New Mexico Governor Michelle Grisham extended her ban on mass gatherings to include churches in April 2020. That was to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. NTD reached out to her office for comment on a claim that her office called him a pro-virus pastor, but we haven't heard back yet. California will maintain a mask mandate in schools at least through February 28th, although some requirements outside of schools will be relaxed. On that day, the state hopes to announce when the mandates will be relaxed. Dr. Mark Galley is the director of California's Department of Health and Human Services. He says that even if the state lifts mask mandates for schools, local districts may decide to keep them in place. He says the decision will not be made on a single indicator. Outside of school, California will not require but will strongly recommend that vaccinated people wear masks in public places. People who are not vaccinated will still be required to wear masks in public public places. Senator Joe Manchin says he'll vote not to confirm President Biden's nominee for FDA commissioner. This as Dr. Robert Califf's nomination advanced past a key hurdle Monday evening. Manchin's opposition to Dr. Califf was widely expected. His concern is related to the opioid crisis, which has grown since Califf first served as FDA head during the Obama administration. Dr. Califf's previous tenure, drug-related overdoses went up. Five years later, they're up again and this time at record numbers. In fact, despite his pledge to overhaul the FDA's policy during his tenure and immediately following it, the FDA approved five new opiates uh, opiates for market. Dr. Califf has shown us who he is. Manchin's home state of West Virginia has been hit particularly hard by the opioid crisis. He is one of several Democrats opposed to Califf. In the narrowly divided Senate, Manchin's opposition means Democrats will have to rely on support from Republicans. A number of Republicans are expected to back the nomination, but it still sets up a challenge for the Biden administration. Five Republicans voted to break a filibuster on Califf's nomination Monday night. A final vote on Califf's nomination could come later this week. And turning now to 5G, two federal agencies vowed to improve U.S. government coordination on spectrum management after a 5G aviation dispute threatened flights. The Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, and the National Telecommunications and Information Administration said they would work cooperatively to resolve spectrum policy issues. They also said they would hold formal, regular meetings to do joint spectrum planning. Earlier this month, lawmakers blasted the FCC and Federal Aviation Administration. They accused the agencies of failing to avoid an embarrassing last-minute standoff between the aviation and wireless industries over 5G C-band deployment and airplane interference. Trial began yesterday for former Goldman Sachs banker involved in one of the biggest financial scandals in Wall Street history. The defendant is accused of making millions of dollars by laundering money and bribing Malaysian government officials. Here are the details. Trial began Monday in a U.S. federal court in Brooklyn for former Goldman Sachs banker Roger N. He was Goldman's former head of investment banking in Malaysia and charged with conspiring to launder money and to violate an anti-bribery law. So there's billions of dollars that were embezzled and misappropriated. There's bribery of high-level officials in Malaysia and uh, Goldman Sachs, which is obviously a very influential Uh, U.S. investment banking company uh, was lending its expertise and its reputation for this massive fraud. The scandal involves Goldman Sachs and a Malaysian state-controlled economic development company called 1MDB. 
Goldman helped 1MDB sell some $6.5 billion in bonds from 2009 to 2014. U.S. prosecutors allege around $4.5 billion of that money was embezzled and that Goldman Sachs made $600 million in fees from the deals. Cheryl Bader, a law professor at Fordham University, says Eng faces an uphill battle in this trial. I think that um, Eng has an uphill battle because I think they are going to show that he was at a high level of management, that he had uh, the connection with Lowe, that he was very involved in, you know, um, everything that was happening, all the transactions that were happening uh, with this fund. Um, and I think it's going to be hard for him to, to separate himself. And has pleaded not guilty, and his lawyer has called him a fall guy. And's defense is expected to argue that he had no role in the scheme perpetrated by his former boss in the Malaysian intermediary. The trial could last up to six weeks. A senior White House communications advisor says she is leaving her post in the near future and will move to the private sector. She is the latest messaging official to depart the Biden administration. Mariel Saez is the White House director of broadcast media. She previously worked as an aide to Congressman Steny Hoyer and was employed by President Biden's 2020 campaign. Saez is considered a key official in the Biden administration's messaging strategy. She coordinated interviews between Biden White House officials and mainstream news outlets. In her statement, she said that she worked hard with others in the administration to communicate the president's priorities across broadcast media. Saez's departure announcement comes one day after NBC News aired an interview with Biden during the Super Bowl on Sunday. Vice President Kamala Harris has also seen several key members leave her office since last summer. An Ohio mayor has resigned after making a rather bizarre comment. It happened last Tuesday in Hudson, Ohio, when the city council was discussing whether to allow ice fishing on a lake where it was previously prohibited. Former Mayor Craig Schubert said he was worried about the fire department's ability to conduct cold water rescues, but then he went into this. And if you then allow ice fishing with shanties, then that leads to another problem prostitution. And now you got the police chief and the police department involved. Just data points to consider. After a moment of shock and silence, fellow council members started laughing, but the genie was out of the bottle and the comment took on a life of its own and went viral. Schubert submitted his resignation Monday, saying he was trying to be funny and just misunderstood. And the city council decided to allow ice fishing on the lake. Nine families of victims of the Sandy Hook Elementary School mass shooting reached a $73 million settlement. This after a wrongful death lawsuit against Remington and its insurers. The firearms company made the Bushmaster AR-15 style rifle used in the 2012 shooting that killed 20 kids and six adults in Newtown, Connecticut. A 2005 federal law protects many gun makers from wrongful death lawsuits brought by family members, but attorneys for the Sandy Hook families pushed a different approach. They attempted to hold the company partly responsible because of its marketing strategy. In 2019, the U.S. Supreme Court decided not to take up an appeal by Remington, effectively allowing the suit to move forward. The next year, Remington filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection for the second time in just over two years. A U.S. judge on Monday said he will throw out former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin's lawsuit against the New York Times. Palin accuses the newspaper of defamation. 
This after the paper incorrectly linked to her incorrectly linked her to a mass murder in an editorial. In an unexpected twist in a trial seen as a test of long-standing protections for American media, U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff in Manhattan said Palin's lawsuit will be dismissed because she failed to show the Times acted with actual malice. But the judge said he will enter a former dismissal order only after jurors who began deliberations on Friday reach their own verdict. Should the case go through a successful appeals process, it may then go to the Supreme Court, which in theory could change the way the media operates. Palin sued the newspaper and its former editorial page editor, James Bennett, arguing that a 2017 editorial called America's Lethal Politics incorrectly linked her to a mass shooting six years earlier that wounded lawmaker Gabby Giffords. Palin said the correction issued by the newspaper the morning after publication did not come fast enough, saying it was accurate but insufficient and did not mention her by name. The jury hadn't reached a verdict by the end of the day and will continue to deliberate today. Former President Donald Trump's accounting firm, Mazars USA, says it cannot stand behind the accounting statements it prepared for him. The statements are at the forefront of two investigations. New York City Attorney General, New York Attorney General Letitia James is accusing the statements to, to try to prove Trump inflated the value of his assets. The New York Times reports Mazars USA compiled the statements for Trump, but now says it can't stand behind them. The statements referred to are from 2011 to 2020. The company said it had not, on the whole, found material discrepancies in the value of Trump's assets, nor in the statements provided by the company but it said the totality of circumstances prompted them to retract the statements. The move could hurt Trump in the cases, but it might not matter due to other technicalities, such as if financial institutions actually relied on the statements when issuing loans. Americans should keep pinching those pennies because inflation is still heading north. The producer price index, which keeps tabs on average price changes U.S. producers get for their goods, rose 9.7% in the 12-month period that ended last month. This is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's much higher than economists had predicted. The price increase for January 2022 alone was a full percentage point, doubling the amount analysts had forecast. If food, trade, and energy services are taken out of January's data, inflation rose 0.9%, a high not seen since January 2021. U.S. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell says he plans to meet with Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell on Tuesday to discuss inflation and the U.S. economy. The announcement of the meeting came as McConnell blasted Democrats for policies that he says have stoked inflation. He also criticized some of President Biden's Fed nominees who are being reviewed by the Senate. The Texas Attorney General's office sued Facebook's parent company, Meta, on Monday. The suit alleges that Facebook violated state privacy protections and that this was done with facial recognition technology that collected biometric data from millions of Texans without their consent. The lawsuit accuses Facebook of collecting the data from users' photos and videos and disclosing the information to others while failing to destroy it within a reasonable time. Over 20 million Texans have a Facebook account The lawsuit said, adding, quote, Facebook repeatedly captured Texans' biometric identifiers without consent, not hundreds or thousands or millions of times, but billions of times. Asked about the lawsuit, a Meta spokesperson said the claims were without merit and said Facebook would defend itself vigorously. 
In a November blog post, the company said it was shutting down a facial recognition system and would delete more than a billion people's information. It cited concerns about use of the technology and uncertainty over what the rules are regarding its use. Facebook agreed to pay $650 million in 2020 to settle an Illinois state lawsuit that dealt with similar concerns. Tesla is facing another recall, and owner Elon Musk is blaming it on the fund police. More than 500,000 vehicles need to have adjustments made to the boombox feature. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is not amused that it allows drivers to play sounds like a bleeding goat or a fart noise in an external speaker. Federal officials say it's a safety issue for pedestrians who might not interpret those sounds as a proper warning. The affected vehicles are the 2020 through 2022 Model S, Model X, and Model Y, but it also applies to some earlier Model S's. Tesla will release a firmware update to disable the feature. Last week, Tesla recalled 817,000 vehicles due to another sound issue, a chime that did not always sound when a seatbelt was unbuckled. A former U.S. Navy engineer pleads guilty for attempting to sell secrets about a nuclear-powered submarines to a foreign country. He admitted to violating the Atomic Energy Act. At the time of his arrest last year, Jonathan Toby was assigned to the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Program, which is part of the Navy. It gave him access to restricted data, including information related to the design of nuclear-powered warships. The Justice Department said that for several months, Toby was in contact with an undercover FBI agent posing as a foreign official. He is also accused of concealing digital memory cards containing classified information to transfer to the undercover agent. The SD cards contained military-sensitive design elements relating to submarine nuclear reactors. After the third attempt to transfer data via an SD card, Toby and his wife were arrested. Under the terms of the plea deal, Toby faces a likely sentence of between 12 years to 17 years in prison. Toby's wife also faces charges. Technology startup Iperus raised $200 million in a private transaction that lifts its valuation to $1.35 billion. The company is competing to sell drone zapping tech to the U.S. military. The cash infusion comes as the U.S. scrambles to develop countermeasures against widely available commercial drones. Military and law enforcement officials say they pose tactical threats to airports, refineries, and mass gatherings like Sunday's Super Bowl. Militia and terrorist groups have often rigged off-the-shelf drones with explosives to attack high-profile targets. Last month, Iraq's air defenses shot down two explosive-laden drones as they approached the Ain al-Assad Air Base west of Baghdad. The base hosts U.S. forces. Epirus joins a number of aerospace contractors developing so-called directed energy weapons. They're designed to zap unmanned aerial vehicles using lasers or microwave technology. Coming up, former Olympic swimmer Rick DeMont recalls being thrust into the middle of a banned substances controversy. That's as 15-year-old athlete recently Camilla Valieva tested positive too. More soon here on NTD News. Tennis world number one Novak Djokovic says he's not against vaccinations, but that he won't be forced to take one, and he's willing to skip Grand Slam tournaments to stand by that. 
The Serbian tennis star told the BBC today he knows he cannot go to most tournaments around the world for now. That's because he is not vaccinated against COVID-19. But he is due to play at a tournament in Dubai next week. It will be the first time since he was deported from Australia, cut off from playing the year's first tennis Grand Slam. Another win at the Australian Open could have given him a men's record 21 major titles. Instead, his rival Rafael Nadal lifted the trophy last month. Djokovic says he's ready to sacrifice his shot for the, miles, for the milestone for his freedom of choice. But he said he is keeping an open mind about taking the jab in the future. Russian figure skater Kamila Valieva is in first place after the women's short program, but the controversy surrounding her drug test has not ended. A sports lawyer weighs in, and Valieva's former coaches in Russia also offer their thoughts about the young skater. Here's more. The Court of Arbitration for Sport rejecting an appeal by the IOC, the World Anti-Doping Agency, and the International Skating Union to bar Kamila Valieva from competing. Sports lawyer Bill Bach was once the general counsel for the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. He says he doesn't agree with banning the 15-year-old skating star. The IOC and WADA were attempting to do and enforcing a mandatory provisional suspension in this case was to enforce a guilty until proven innocent uh, position. And that's directly opposite to how any legal system should treat any person let alone a 15-year-old. Bach says he thinks the decision to allow Valieva to compete was inevitable and that it would not have served justice to enforce the suspension. Valieva tested positive for a banned heart drug during a separate competition last December, but the result didn't come out until last week when the Olympics were underway. Bach notes that the case could take months to settle. Unfortunately, it's not the first time that uh, WADA and the IOC have been less than vigilant when it comes to Russian doping issues. And so I think clean athletes uh, realize that in order to be protected, that they have to stand up and they have to demand change. And um, frankly, everybody who cares about clean sport needs to demand change. Valieva has been on the ice since she was a toddler. Her childhood former coaches in Russia say they hope Valieva could get through her biggest challenge yet. She was ahead of schedule. She was going faster than her peers. She is simply a prodigy in her abilities, her gift, her work ethic. Well, she is a brilliant child in talent and hard work and ability. That is, there is talent plus hard work plus ability plus desire. Two former coaches say they have trouble believing that Valieva was to blame for the failed doping test from December. This is just horrible. I don't want to think about what will happen next. It's disgusting, repulsive. I think Camilla should hold her ground. We all stand for her. I don't believe any of this stuff that's being said. The IOC says even if Valieva places in the top three in the women's singles event, they won't award her a medal until her doping case is ultimately resolved. 15-year-old Russian gold medalist figure skater Kamila Valieva is under scrutiny after testing positive for a banned substance. The situation strikes a strong similarity to an incident from years past. American Rick DeMond says he knows exactly what it's like to be a young athlete in the middle of controversy. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. DeMont was not as fortunate. 
As a 16-year-old, he earned a gold medal for the United States in the 400-meter freestyle swimming competition at the 1972 Munich Games, the youngest ever Olympic champion to claim victory over that distance at the time. But his dream was shattered when he tested positive for ephedrine, a substance found in his asthma medication. I was thrashed for, for uh, a while, permanently affected. Um, emotionally numb, um, kind of half dead, really, compared to the life that I was, you know. He had properly declared to Team USA Medics before the Olympics, but the team's failure to inform the International Olympic Committee led to the stripping of his medal. DeMont became the youngest Olympic athlete punished for doping. I'm sure she's confused, completely confused. She might not even known that she was taking the stuff. She might not have any idea that was in her. So she's been blindsided. And, um, and, and there's adults behind this somewhere. DeMont arrived in Munich 50 years ago as an ambitious teenager with a love for swimming and ready to test his abilities. But DeMont said it took at least 20 years to get over his Olympic ordeal in Munich. I had a big heart and believed in magic, wanted to race the best people in the world and um, knew I could do it. I thought I could fly um, and I could. And, um, and it all kind of, that, that the beauty of the source of where that came from all disappeared, just, just disappeared. There was a partial reprieve from the United States Olympic Committee in 2001 when he was cleared of any wrongdoing, but the IOC has not returned his medal. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. More than half of China's Olympic hockey players are originally from somewhere else, but some are questioning why the mostly American and Canadian athletes are allowed to compete for Beijing at all. That's as one of them refuses to comment on his citizenship status. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more of the details. Eileen Gu isn't the only Chinese athlete who has been questioned about her citizenship. China's Olympic men's hockey team is mostly made up of American and Canadian players. They usually play professionally in Russia. Though during the Beijing Games, they represented China. But the issue of Team China's very nationalities has raised some questions. That's because the International Olympic Committee dictates that competitors must be citizens of the country they represent, or if an athlete has two or more citizenships, they may choose to represent either of them. But there's another component. China does not recognize dual citizenship, meaning anyone who holds Chinese citizenship cannot hold allegiance to any other country. Because of China's rule, many are asking if these athletes gave up their original citizenships to compete for China. According to the Wall Street Journal, none of the bodies directly responsible for Team China's hockey squad, the Chinese Olympic Committee, the International Ice Hockey Federation, or the International Olympic Committee will respond to questions about the team's large foreign contingent. Among China's 25-man roster, the most famous name is U.S.-born athlete Jake Chilios, son of National Hockey League legend Chris Chilios. Jack Chilios goes by the name Jackie Caliosi while playing for China. He and several of his teammates still have their American passports. When asked if he had naturalized as a Chinese citizen, he responded saying he's not supposed to comment on that. 
What's more, the International Ice Hockey Federation rules that before competing for a new country, an athlete who changed citizenship status must participate for at least two consecutive hockey seasons and 16 consecutive months in the national competitions of the new country. Due to China's rigid pandemic policies, the team did not spend the 2020-21 or 2021-2022 seasons in China. Instead, they trained and played games in Russia, later flying to Beijing on January 20th to join the Olympic Village ahead of the Games. The United States is closing its embassy in Kiev, and the State Department continues to monitor the buildup of Russian forces at the Ukrainian border. Fears of invasion are having significant economic impacts there and around the world. The State Department taking no chances. There would be widespread human suffering. Moving all remaining diplomatic personnel in Ukraine out of Kyiv and into the western part of the country. We feel all of these actions were absolutely necessary. But the U.S. is not giving up on a peaceful resolution. A spokesperson for the Kremlin says Russian President Vladimir Putin is, quote, willing to negotiate. The path for diplomacy remains available if Russia chooses to engage constructively. However, we are clear-eyed about the prospects of that given the steps Russia is taking on the ground in plain sight. The White House says they are remaining in close contact with NATO allies and partners about possible next steps. President Biden has made clear that um, should there be another incursion into Ukraine, that, uh, that the United States would respond swiftly with severe economic consequences. The impacts of the tension felt at home. Right now, the American people are focused on their pocketbooks. Fears of invasion sent the Dow tumbling and oil prices soaring, reaching $95 a barrel for the first time since 2014. I do think the American people will support the use of our economic power through sanctions and some of their taxpayer dollars going to um, move troops to protect the eastern flank of NATO. Russian officials said today that some units taking part in military exercises near the Ukrainian border would start returning to their bases. It's sparking hope that the Kremlin might not invade Ukraine after all. That's despite a massive troop buildup that put Western leaders on high alert for an imminent attack. It is unclear how many troops Russia is withdrawing, but Russia's defense ministry suggested that other Russian units stationed near Ukraine's border would follow suit. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is urging state officials, politicians, and business leaders to return to Ukraine within 24 hours. Many have left recently amid fears of an impending Russian invasion. Zelensky is asking everyone to return as a show of solidarity. It is your direct duty in such a situation to be with us, with the Ukrainian people. I suggest that you return to your homeland within 24 hours and stand shoulder to shoulder with the Ukrainian army, our diplomats and our people. Ukrainian media reported that some lawmakers and top businessmen had fled the country last weekend. This after the United States, Great Britain and other Western countries advised their citizens to leave Ukraine. U.S. officials have been warning that a Russian attack on Ukraine could happen any day. Zelensky said... We have been told that February 16th will be the day of the attack, but we will make it the day of unity. Up next, NASA's Perseverance rover lands on Mars one year ago. The spacecraft is on a two-year mission exploring the planet's dry river delta for signs of earlier life. 
Some councils in Australia want cats to stay on a leash or stay inside. That's to stop cats from injuring other animals. Cat attacks often lead to death. Stay tuned to find out more. It's been one year since NASA's Perseverance rover landed on Mars. The spacecraft is on a two-year mission exploring the planet's dry river delta. Part of that mission means drilling into rocks that could hold evidence of life 3 billion to 4 billion years ago. Entity's Andrew Thomas reports. In February 2021, NASA made history by putting a spacecraft on Mars. The Perseverance rover landed near an ancient river delta in Jezero Crater on February 18, 2021 to search for signs of ancient microscopic life. Five cameras sent images back to Earth. And so when, we, when I heard about the successful landing and I was at home with my family and my young kids, which was actually really nice to be able to share that moment with them, I felt such a release, re, release and relief at successfully having landed Perseverance on Mars. But celebrations were short-lived. The mission was still in its early days. But for those of us on the science and operation teams, landings are really when the work begins for us. And so we had this moment of celebration, but then we had a couple of hours and then we had to begin uh, operations and, and telling the rover how to prepare itself and, and to do its work on the surface of Mars. Perseverance is one year into a two-year mission to explore the dry river delta and drill into rocks that may hold evidence of life from three billion to four billion years ago. The core samples will be sent back to Earth a decade from now for study. When we got the data down and we saw that we had a sealed sample, we couldn't be more ecstatic. It worked. NASA expects to bring back the rocks as early as 2031, several years before the first astronauts might arrive on the Red Planet. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Nine couples said I do on Monday at a Valentine's Day group wedding. They sealed the deal at the historic Flagler Museum in Palm Beach, Florida. The Palm Beach County Clerk's Office arranged the ceremony. It took place on the south lawn of Whitehall, a 75-room waterside retreat. Oil and railroad tycoon Henry Flagler had built it as a wedding present, as a wedding present for his third wife. The Flaglers wintered there beginning in 1902, and it is now the centerpiece of the Flagler Museum. Historians say today it would cost $4 million to $110 million to build. It typically costs $15,000 to get married there, but on this day, the venue was free. In his fifth year as creative director for Carolina Herrera, designer Wes Gordon continues to revamp the brand's signatures. This time, it was to use the brand's use of bows, which could be found used as embellishments, sashes, and even on accessories. Florals, fringe, and ruffles were used delicately throughout the fall-winter 2022 collection on both ready-to-wear and evening looks. Heart-shaped bodices and seamless gowns on strapless gowns were a perfect fit for the Valentine's Day show. Vogue editor-in-chief Anna Winter said the collection is a clear sign that fashion is thriving during the COVID era. New York Fashion Week ends on February 16th. Free-roaming cats could be a thing of the past in Australia, Councils are now calling on owners to keep their pets inside or walk them on a leash. 
That's for fear that the cats will harm smaller animals. Cats are beloved pets for many, but their hunting instincts can be dangerous to small wildlife. Take this owl, the latest victim of a cat attack. A vet is checking its injured wing. Now, unfortunately for this boo book, this fracture looks like it involves the joint. So the likelihood of recovery is probably not very good. A cat owner found this injured bird in the mouth of their pet. This groundhog was also bitten by a cat. Now she is released back into the wild. Had we not intervened, she would have died. Um, and, and a pretty horrible death, you know, she would have just slowly died of septicemia. Hundreds of victims of cat attacks are brought here every year. About half of them fail to survive. Cats are now evolving and learning about the different wildlife and they're now um, getting better at hunting these animals. A councillor from Fremantle, Western Australia, is leading the push for stronger laws. Cats are already banned from the city's bush areas unless they're on leashes. The plan is now just to prohibit cats from all city of Fremantle property. That would be all roads and all footpaths. The proposal is part of a nationwide campaign. City officials encourage owners to build cat enclosures and they will be fined if their pets are found roaming outside their properties. A British short hair breeder says she's supportive. We'd like to see more enclosures for pets. We would like to see more information for pet owners who may not realise that they can create an enclosure for their pets. She says she hopes the city will invest more of the revenue from cat registration fees into sterilisation programs and related educational activities. Chronic pain can leave a person feeling depressed. Depression, meanwhile, is closely linked to certain kinds of physical pain. Treating both those conditions together may be an option for recovery. Let's hear from Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Pain and depression can create a cyclical experience that is difficult to escape. Many studies have confirmed that pain and depression are closely related. It is known that pain can cause depression and depression can cause pain. In some people, pain and depression can even create a vicious cycle in which pain worsens symptoms of depression. The resulting depression increases the feelings of pain. Depression can cause unexplained physical symptoms such as back pain or headaches. This pain may be the first sign of depression or even the only sign. Could this mean that people are not even aware they are suffering from depression? When people have to deal with pain, it can affect mood over time. Chronic pain can cause several problems that lead to depression and include stress and trouble sleeping. Researchers have also found a link not just with pain resulting from an injury, but also in patients with health conditions such as heart disease and diabetes. For those suffering from depression and pain, it is important to focus on treatments that offer help with both conditions. Separate treatments may be needed for pain and depression. However, working on them together may improve results. Talk therapy, also called psychological counselling, can be effective in treating both conditions. Stress reduction techniques such as meditation, exercise and journaling have shown promise for those seeking treatment for depression and pain. Pain rehabilitation programs can offer a team approach to treatment including psychiatric and medical aspects. 
Experts believe that treatment for co-occurring pain and depression may be most effective when it involves various treatments. Getting the right treatment before symptoms worsen is important. At the first sign of depression or pain, talk to your doctor and discuss your options before it gets worse. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.